Welcome to the Why Did I Get Cancer podcast. I'm Deborah Herlax Enos, a small town girl turned TV nutritionist and healthy living expert. I design health programs for the average guy or gal, including those average guys named Metallica. On September 1st, 2020, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I asked every oncologist the same question, why did I get cancer? But none of my doctors had good answers for me. I wanted answers and that's why I started this podcast. I wanna help you to lower your cancer risk and provide self-care tips for those in the battle. I'm getting answers and I wanna share them with you. What did I take away from today's episode? Something so interesting that I've actually never considered. Dr. Keish, she was talking about that there are four corners to the puzzle when it comes to having chronic disease like cancer or autoimmune disorder. And she was saying that there's genetics, that's one piece, gut health, toxic load, and the fourth piece is trauma. And that trauma corner puzzle piece impacts, greatly impacts the rest of the puzzle. Dr. Keisha was also saying that many of her patients are willing to take supplements or even change their diet or start exercising to impact their health, but not that many people are willing to take a look at trauma. But listen to today's episode and get all of Dr. Keisha's tips on how to recognize and process trauma. Well, welcome to Why Did I Get Cancer, Dr. Keisha. We're all, we're also neighbors. So cool. I've heard her on the radio. I've always wanted to talk to you, and now I get my wish. So welcome to Why Did I Get Cancer. I am so delighted to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, well, we're just going to jump into the deep end, but I want to talk a little bit about your experience. You're board certified in functional medicine. You're an Ayurvedic. Am I saying that correctly? Ayurvedic practitioner. You are. And really, you're a, a trauma expert because when we don't process trauma, it's got to go somewhere, doesn't it? It does. It does go somewhere. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes it turns into a chronic disease. You also have you know, most of your practice is autoimmune disorder. Is that correct? It is. Yes. Yes. So um, on your website, you call trauma the missing piece of the health puzzle. Can you explain what that means? Yeah. When when people, I, actually, my patients come from all over the place. And oftentimes it's because they've been to doctor after doctor after doctor, seen a lot of nutritionists, done a lot of work with physical therapy and, you know, just different medical team people. And by the time they reach us, sometimes they're pretty angry because they've spent a lot of time and effort and money out of pocket. And when they, when they arrive and they read something of mine, they say, Oh, like that part I haven't worked on. That's the part, right? This, This trauma piece. And it is such a big part of trauma is what influences how our genetics upregulate and express themselves. Trauma is the thing that sets up our nervous system patterning for how we perceive the world, which then sets up how our endocrine system or hormone relay system functions. So if we're constantly thinking of ourselves, you know, our limbic system is on all the time and we're wondering if we're safe or lovable or worthwhile, you know, from these early trauma patterns, then that means that we're kind of like zebras being chased by a lion all the time, which we're not designed to do, right? You're not designed to be in that fight or flight or freeze state in perpetuity. It's supposed to be a very quick thing that happens to get you out of danger. And then once you get out of danger, you self-regulate and come back into what we call homeostasis or a balance. 
And so when, when we have trauma, then we often don't have the ability to have that resilience or flexibility that we can drop back into homeostasis. And so then that breaks down our gut lining, which makes us have what we call intestinal impermeability or leaky gut, So then makes us very sensitive to our environment and even intolerant to the things we eat, to the chemicals in the environment, to, you know, it often makes us have poor boundaries with people in our environment and our own thoughts. You know, boundaries, I always say, need to be started from within, <laughs> with our own thoughts, right? <laughs> I had a bad day, Absolutely. so I'm going to have some right. Ben and Jerry's. I deserve it. You know, that kind of thing is <laughs> right. a, an example of a poor boundary with your own self. And so when, when we think of trauma in that way, it becomes a toxic burden, You know, it's one of the reasons we hold on to uh, our toxic burden of heavy metals in the environment or molds or viruses like Lyme and Epstein-Barr and COVID, herpes. You know, some of the things that, you know, will continue to stay in our bodies oftentimes is because of the environment that we've set up, the terrain that gets set up in this perfect apartment complex (laughs) that comes from the biochemical responses from trauma. So I I think about solving a puzzle, like each person is an individual puzzle. And the first book I wrote was called Solving the Autoimmune Puzzle. And I I talk about solving the puzzle means that you need to, you know, dump all the pieces out, turn them all over, and you're going to look for those four corner pieces to start anchoring in the frame of your puzzle before you start putting the middle in. And those four corner pieces, when we're talking about chronic illness, like cancer, are going to be like first genetics, second, your gut health, and third, toxic burden, and fourth, trauma. And that trauma corner piece there, that missing piece, is the one that influences the other three greatly. So that's why I always think about it as sort of the unseen one, right? A lot of people are very willing to change their diets, take supplements, you know, do some lifestyle changes, but they haven't understood the impact that their early childhood events have had on their current adult health. Oh my gosh. Okay. So Dr. Keisha, you, when you say it's, it's the four corners of your puzzle, I've actually never considered that trauma could have any impact on my health other than maybe you have a bad dream about it, or, you know, maybe you're harboring unforgiveness. And when you think about a person, you get you know, irritated, angry, whatever, but it can really, it can impact your gut health, which, you know, all health starts in the gut. Isn't that, isn't that a, you know, an old statement that really rings true? Oh my gosh. Okay. So how does somebody know, because you talk a lot about childhood trauma. How do you know if you've been through a trauma? Maybe you were really young and don't have memories that you can actually verbalize? That's a really great question. And it's when I get asked a lot where, what if I don't remember my childhood is another question I get, you know, I've got gaps in my childhood and I don't, I don't know if I've had trauma. Uh, In 2013, I conducted a study called the Healing Unresolved Trauma Study or HURT study. And from that came the HURT model. And in that model of trauma healing, the way that I talk about this is first you have, you know, and everyone's had trauma. Let's just say that right there, right? Everyone's had trauma. And we can divide trauma up into a couple categories of what you could think of as capital T trauma, which are the things that you're pointing to and that a lot of people think about when they hear trauma. 
when we talk about domestic violence and sexual abuse and psychological abuse, emotional neglect, you know, those are those are those capital T traumas. Lowercase T trauma is going to be the traumas that we have that are thousands of them by the time we come into adulthood. And then, you know, these are the ones that tend to be unnoticed because we tend as humans to compare ourselves to other people, right? So, well, I didn't have that. So then that means I had a really good childhood. But, you know, it doesn't, you're not actually judging whether or not you had a good or a bad childhood. Let's just take that off the table because childhood is just one of those places where children don't have fully developed brains, first of all, until the age of 26. So the prefrontal cortex, which is in the front part of your skull, uh, is the part that we call your executive function or adult brain. You don't actually have that online or fully developed until you're 26 years of age. So when you're young, when you're growing up, you're working with this, you know, very much from the limbic system place. And you also are powerless. Like, think about it. Your locus of control, this is how we call it in psychology, is very much externalized. It means somebody is telling you what to wear, where to be, at what time, when to brush your teeth, you know, and how to think, right? You're getting the, your values and, and your morals set up from your culture and origin. Like, all of this is being done while you, you're getting imprinted or culturated when you're a child. You don't have autonomy and you don't have power. So when you think about this, you're going to have a lot of what are called naive experiences, experiences that you've had for the very first time. So as I'm, I'm 57, as, as I'm going through the aging process, I'm kind of fascinated with the idea that, oh, as you age, you also are having last experiences and you never know when they're hit, right? Like this may be the last time that I do this. That's an interesting thing. It is because I'm also 57 and you're right. There are times I think, wow, is this the last time I'm going to, you know, whatever, jump out of an airplane, which I never have and I never will. But Well, think about it from the other side where you're a child and you're having all of the firsts, right? Mm, and so okay. all of these first experiences, and some of them are great and some of them are not so great. So an example of a, a lowercase t trauma could be something like, um, and maybe you've had this experience. I was a Navy brat, so I lived 21 places by the time I was 14 years old. And I was entering into school systems in the middle of the year all of the time, you know, where mm-hmm. kids already had their friend groups formed, Right. And so, you know, an experience of a lowercase t trauma is going to be just that. Like, where do I sit in the lunchroom? Right. <laughs> That's very traumatic, right. right? Oh, my gosh. And you had that over and 21 oh, times. Over again, and over. Right? <laughs> very traumatic. So sometimes yeah. when you're not sure where you fit in, because remember that as, as people, as humans, we're biologically wired to know that if we're put on the outside of the firelight circle of the tribe, then the saber-toothed tiger might eat us. And so that's a really important piece to understand. Anything that we feel rejected in, betrayed, not part of the crowd, not lovable, not worthwhile, all of these are lowercase c traumas. Well, something like, remember the presidential challenge in PE where you had to climb yeah. the rope? Okay. Yeah. So, so like you're standing in line waiting for your turn to climb that rope every year. And if you're somebody that can't climb the rope, then that's going to be traumatic. It's in yeah, front right. of everyone else, right? If you are in a spelling bee 
and you mess up the word that, you know, you were supposed to spell, that's, that can be traumatic. So if you expected that uh, maybe in your family, intelligence or academics is very celebrated, and then you didn't get an A on a test, that can be traumatic. Mm. You didn't get picked for the ball team. You didn't get into the part right. of the play. Like these are all those lowercase t traumas. Now they're Which not- we've all had. We've You're right. Had, right? You're right. Yeah, yeah, we've all had them. And so I remember doing therapy on a, on a man that was uh, working for a big software engineering company that will remain nameless. <laughs> and, and he would, he came in to see me and he was in his early forties and he came in because he was having a problem with hyperhidrosis, which is sweating out his, his um, shirts in front of people at work. Mm-hmm. And he was really mm-hmm. embarrassed by it. He would just sweat when he had to give a presentation and he'd been to see doctors that had told him to go on beta blockers. Another one had given him Botox right. injections and in his yep. axillary sweat glands. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd been given anti-anxiety medications, nothing had worked. And then someone told him about me and he came in and it was so interesting because when I asked him, and this is where the hurt model comes in, we'll go through it. When I asked him, what was the earliest time he remembered being embarrassed in front of people it was a middle school experience where he was walking through the cafeteria with a tray of food and he was walking past the table where the girl that he had a crush on was sitting and he tripped and he fell and the metal tray went clattering on the floor. Food went flying and the entire mm. cafeteria erupted in laughter. Of course. Right. Of course. Right. Of course. And so what in the hurt model, what will happen is you say, okay, so first there's this naive experience, something that you haven't experienced before. So he fell down in front of a whole group of people at age 13 and, you know, embarrassed himself. So from, from that first experience, then comes a feeling. So first you have the experience, then you have the feeling just right on the heels. And Mm -hmm. he was, he had shame and embarrassment. Mm. Then you're going to have, a place in your body that that feeling is felt. Okay. So maybe in your gut or in your neck or your jaw Mm -hmm. or your heart center. And then you're going to have a nervous system response to the feeling. So if it's something like pain or hurt or sadness or anger or panic or shame or embarrassment like that, public shaming, then it's going to be a, a a fast sympathetic overload of fight, flight, freeze. And remember, children don't have autonomy and power. It's always going to be freeze. Mm -hmm. So he froze, right? And here's that heart rate going and blood pressure's up. And and so from that nervous system response, then comes a meaning really fast that you put to it. Hmm. Because we're always trying to create, you know, like what, what happened? How do I not have this happen again? Again, right. What does it mean about me? And because we are in the narcissistic state of life before 26 years old. We're very self-oriented because we're trying to stay alive. We're trying to figure out how to be big people in a world, you know, as little people. Right. When we have no power, right. We have no power. So it's going to always be self-absorbed, right? Mm -hmm. It's about me. So he falls down, he has that response. And then the meaning that he made up is I'm an idiot. I can't Mm -hmm. be trusted in front of people. That becomes his belief. And then you're going to have, and this is key about the question about what if you don't remember. Okay, so long explanation. But the key is you then create an adaptive behavior to match the meaning and belief you just created. 
The adaptive behavior is going to be what the wise mind of the child at that time thinks is the best thing to do. And it is in that moment, but not necessarily in adulthood. So for him, it was, I'm never getting in front of a group of people again. Right, because he was trying to basically self-protect. He's Yeah, of course. He never went into another cafeteria all the way through college, <sighs> high school, grad school. And even at his work on campus, he didn't go into cafeterias. Really? He always brought his food with him, ate in the library. And so invisibility was his adaptive response. Now in his work, in his 40s, he's being asked to get up in front of his peers, present his work, and he cannot because his behavior that was adaptive to his belief that I need to remain invisible to Mm -hmm. stay safe Mm -hmm. was getting impinged on. So what we did Mm. was we healed that little 13-year-old's rupture right there, changed his belief, created a new adaptive behavior instead of going into maladaptive response, which is what you do if you keep looping on that same track that you created in your childhood. Right. So now in in adulthood, you get an opportunity to do this process called self-confrontation, where you ask like, is this actually a good thing still for me to do, right? Mm -hmm. You get to reframe and you get to heal that and become securely attached to your inner child. So then he didn't sweat in front of groups of people anymore, Hmm. right? And so if you don't know your trauma from your childhood, it's okay. You can reverse engineer it from the behaviors you have in adulthood that might not be working for you. So you can just kind of do an inventory of, okay, I get stressed out when I... I don't know, get in front of people, drive over a bridge, you know, whatever right. it is. Exactly. And then you can try to unpack that. Right. So me- and oftentimes you have to borrow a brain to do that because yeah. the same mind that creates the problem can't solve the same problem. That absolutely makes sense. Yeah. Are there people who can, I hate to use this word, but I can't think of another one, who can just handle more trauma without having it manifest in their daily life or in their health? There's a thing called resilience. And so, you know, and we Mm -hmm. call them vulnerability factors. And, And so if somebody comes out of childhood securely attached to their parents, you know, having not had big capital T traumas, And having a foundation where a lot of this nervous system patterning was put together in a nice, healthy way, then they are going to be more resilient in adulthood. Okay. So it's almost like they were given the tools through their family of origin. where If they have a family of origin that is skillful. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that I usually will use that word I think is really important, skillful, right? It's not that your family is stupid, you know, it's that maybe they right, didn't learn these right. skills, yes. right? Skillful means. And, and so one of the things that I teach people is that, you know, when you come out of high school and you leave home, you're, it's not like you have a turkey timer and it says you're cooked, mm-hmm. you're done, all learning is finished. You're actually just beginning, you know, and a lot of the things that you didn't pick up in your childhood maybe weren't taught because also it wasn't culturally given. Right. Right? right, Our parents had a f- much different culture Absolutely. than we do today, where all this is talked about. There are podcasts, there are mm-hmm. books. I mean, what's, 
the, the most prolific genre that's sold in bookstores today is self-help. That makes sense. It makes sense. Well, I love that. I, I do love that. And I've been in the health field for 30 years and I've never seen such an emphasis on people wanting to be well. And I love seeing that. But I think that this trauma piece, I mean, again, I've been in the health field for a long time. I've never thought that trauma could impact my cancer risk, but it really can, can it? Yeah. And unresolved trauma can impact autoimmune disease, cancer risk, even your career. Your relationships, your finances, everything. Your happiness, your mood, yeah. What is on the other side for people when they deal with this? Well, this is interesting because you know, the one of the biggest studies that's ever been done, it's a over 3,000 member cohort that were Kaiser Permanente enrollees. They were studied between 1995 and 1997 in a study called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study or ACEs study. And it was conducted by the Centers for Disease Control and Kaiser. And how it came to be was that there was this weight loss clinic that Kaiser had and their program was really good and people were losing weight except there is this percentage of people that were dropping out before they got to their goal. Even though they were successful, they weren't finishing. And luckily the head of the department was curious and started calling people in and asking why and was finding that most of them had been sexually abused in childhood. So sexual abuse we know will often lead to obesity and there's been a lot of um, conjecture around that. Well, is it because you know, I'll feel safe if I have more weight on me and I won't feel, I won't be attractive to other people. Like sometimes that gets put in there. Um, but you know, the ACEs study, the findings were, there were 10 questions that were asked by the time you were 18 years old, did you experience this thing? And if you said yes, that's an ACE score of one. If you said yes to the next one, that's two. So there were things like the capital T traumas, sexual abuse, emotional neglect. Did you have a parent that was addicted to a substance or mentally ill or incarcerated or dead? You know, like these are all like what we call capital T traumas or ACEs. I have an ACE score of two. The outcomes of that study were, and the the one that was the most compelling to me is that there's less likelihood that you will engage in consistent self-care. Now that's interesting. We'll put a pin on that for a second. And then there were a whole host of other outcomes from it. Like the higher your ACEs score, the more likely you are to have cancer, to have autoimmune, that it will affect your genetic expression. It'll create relationship issues, sexual problems, like habits that are things like addictions. Like so much of this was interwoven with how high your ACEs score was. Now, when you ask what's on the other side of that, when I wrote Solving the Autoimmune Puzzle, I said, I put the ACEs quiz in there. And I said, so now you know your score. Does that mean that these outcomes are set in stone? The answer is no, of course not. Once you have that understanding, then you can set about repairing it. You know, I never talk or write about anything that you can't change, you know? Well, you're screwed. You've got an ACEs score of six, right? That does not mean that that's the end of where the train goes. The train stops at one station and you can keep moving. So what's on the other side is the willingness, and this is the part of the hurt model that I told you, you know, like it bifurcates. First, you have this, this first 
experience that sets up your nervous system patterning, your meanings and beliefs and your adaptive behavior responses. But then, you know, there's a bifurcation in the model where if you go over to the left, you keep doing what you've always done, that leads to disease. And that is, you know, what's included in that is an unwillingness to self-confront. On the right-hand side, if you want to move into adaptive memory processing and really digest this so that you get the wisdom from it and you let the rest go, that requires willingness to self-confront. And so what's on the other side is if you're willing to really take this on, and and this is my personal story, you know, I I was sexually abused when I was 10. Mm -hmm. And then when I was 30, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And I was given a couple of prescriptions, like everyone, like methotrexate and a non-steroidal mm-hmm. anti-inflammatory drug, and told it was genetic and I couldn't do anything about it except take the medications because my right. grandfather had had RA. Mm-hmm. And I just remember sitting with that and going, I wonder if that's true, if that's true that I can't do anything but take these meds. And so I started doing some searching and I found a compelling article on yoga and autoimmunity, went to my first yoga class. The yoga teacher talked about this word Ayurveda. Ayurveda, you mentioned in my bio, is the sister science of yoga. It's a 10,000-year-old framework of medicine that says we're not all the same. You know, there's not one diet that's right for every single person. Not one sleeping pattern that's right for every single person. And, oh, (laughs) Autoimmunity and cancer are undigested anger. Really? Sat me back on my heels because I remember thinking, but I'm not an angry person. And then thinking shortly after that thought, well, maybe that's the problem. Maybe the fact that I put on shoes and go running every single time I have a feeling is maybe a problem, you know, Mm -hmm. that I'm not actually digesting. Right. I'm burning it off. And so that, that was a really interesting wake up call for me that led me into what I do today by really sitting still learning how to meditate and saying, I wonder why I have this autoimmune disease. Like autoimmune means I'm killing myself. When was the first time I wanted to die? And really like sitting with that as an interesting question, because I didn't want to die at the time that I had RA Mm-hmm. I had four small children I was raising. I loved my life and, you know, I, I, everything was great, but I was a perfectionist. I was a people pleaser and I pushed mm-hmm. myself harder than I've ever seen anyone push themselves. Yeah. And I got sick. And so in that meditation, I started realizing, hmm, I wonder if I did want to die at some point. And I started going backwards in my memory and I came up with that 10 year old little girl who was being sexually abused by the vice principal of the elementary school I was in. And I thought, Oh, she did one off the planet. No one was listening when she told, you know, I tried to tell my mom and tell Mm -hmm. my dad was out to see and tried to tell a couple teachers, but I obviously wasn't saying the right words in the right way. Nobody saw you. No one, no one could, could hear me. And so I thought this must be connected, you know, right. This, this idea that I wanted off the planet, then I was talking to angels and now I was very mystic little child. Mm -hmm. And, and then this disease process 20 years later, and it turns out the ACEs study says, yes, that's accurate, right? That is exactly what happens. Mm -hmm. And so when what's on the other side is this freedom, 
It's freedom mm. from the nervous system reactivity and perception pathways that you've set up. So there's a real big love affair right now in the vagus nerve, like, oh, mm-hmm. vagal, vagus nerve stimulators, um, all this technology right. that you do. Work on your I'm, vagal tone, yes. Yeah, and that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also, again, a little bit of a sideshow, you know, because underneath that, what sets your nervous system off in the first place is what needs to be confronted right? You can't just go to your vagus nerve after your, it's like eating a Snickers bar and taking insulin. That's not a healthy way of managing diabetes. It is not a healthy way. (laughs) Yes. And so this is not a healthy way of managing trauma either. Mm -hmm. And so what's, what's on the other side, if you're really willing to go into that place where you go, Oh, I really want to meet with this part of me that made these beliefs and these behaviors put them together and created a pattern. And I want to heal that one. And I want to have a secure attachment to my inner child, right? So we talk about attachment disorders to parents, but actually when you get into adulthood, your work is to become uh, bonded to your own self and not expect everyone outside of you to meet your needs, to soothe you, to pay attention. A lot of people that get Chronic illnesses are highly sensitive people, they're empaths, they're intuitives. And a lot of the, the blogs and podcasts these days are centered on, oh, you attract narcissists into your life and you need to have good boundaries with them and get out of those toxic relationships. And yes, that's true. It's But we're now dealing again with a lack of self-confrontation of saying, oh, so what is the pattern that I need to heal to not be a highly sensitive person. So I can still keep my intuitive abilities, but I don't have to be so intolerant and have such porous boundaries to my environment and pick up these weird, you know, relationship bonds that I've been attracting to myself. And so there's a lot of healing that, that at the end of the day, when you say what's on the other side, it's liberation, it's freedom. It's freedom from these early bonds that we create inside of ourselves as a really skillful way of surviving that now need to be grown past, expanded, right? right? And mature, I guess, you know, right. And I think about um, before cancer, I was an epic people pleaser and highly sensitive person. Yeah, there you go. And post-cancer, I am, I'm a completely different person in that way. And I look back and I can actually now say, I am so grateful for cancer. Yes. Because it was the trigger that I needed to make some changes, to take a look at my, take a look at my life, my interactions, my relationships, and, you know, just my pattern Yes. And change that. And of course, that didn't happen overnight. And that's not what you're talking about here. What you're talking about is take a look. You know, what's not working for you? Where do things seem to fall apart? And I'm not an expert, but I'll throw this out. If you see there's places in your life where things are falling apart, you probably need to push the pause button and take a deeper dive as to what's going on there. Exactly. I mean... I got breast cancer 10 years after I reversed my rheumatoid arthritis, which I was able to do in six months. I never took those meds and never been back again. 
Oh my gosh, that's And then I was diagnosed with cancer 10 years later after my son, who had come home from college, sat me down and told me that our neighbor boy had sexually abused both of my sons in their childhood. I mean, you can't even imagine the level of despair and devastation and shame that I had for letting that happen on my watch. I was diagnosed with cancer four months later. And when I saw the tumor on the ultrasound, I was like, I know where that came from. And I knew what it was. It was self-loathing, self-hatred, self-recrimination. And I knew what I had to do. I said, give me a month and then I'll be back. And I did this intense trauma work of self-forgiveness. And Deborah, I can't even tell you how how much I did not want to forgive that that 40-year-old version. Well, she was in her 30s when it happened, but of me and you know and and it is a form of abuse to say at the age of whatever you are like if if i were to take my 57 year old self look at my 30 year old self and judge her for choices that she made that's abusive because you're doing it with information that that one didn't have right it took me a oh it was awful i bet i i finally got through and i did it and i finally could forgive myself and my tumor went away Oh my gosh, I mean, that's a miracle story. I, you know, it is, but it was, it was, it was so clear what it was from. I mean, I could see it pulsating. It was right over my heart. You know, I knew it was like, I was so angry with that woman who had let that happen to her children and hadn't protected them in the way that she had wanted to be protected and had like, I'd let the same thing happen. And so I can't even tell you how hard it was. And when I finally was able to forgive myself, which my children forgave me pretty rapidly. Mm-hmm. It, was, you know? it was you forgiving. It was me forgiving. So that's the hardest work I've ever done. So much easier for me to forgive the vice principal who molested me, but, and, you know, but not mm-hmm. myself, right? And so that is another right. thing that a lot of cancer is right. made from, is resentment loathing, Mm. hatred, a lack of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And so that's a big piece in my doctoral work. And the study I did, forgiveness was one of the interventions that, you know, and there's certain, like I'm kind of a forgiveness expert now, but there are certain personality types that are less willing to forgive. There are all these different barriers we Mm -hmm. have to forgiveness. We get confused about what forgiveness actually is. It doesn't mean it's reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation Mm -hmm. are not the same. Mm -hmm. That's right. And you have to engage in forgiveness if you're going to get well. Because resentment is the most toxic chemical that is manufactured on this planet. And it is not made mm-hmm. by some corporation dumping it in the air, air, water, and soil. It's made by us. Yeah, and that, and I talk about that a lot on this podcast, that I really battled unforgiveness in my life. And I had to, I had to do a lot of self-reflection after my diagnosis. And I knew that I couldn't this is not my quote, but I knew I couldn't heal in the same environment that made me sick. Yes. So I had to really clean things up. Yeah. Oh yeah, a mastectomy is so much easier than doing that. It was honestly easier probably to get a mastectomy than to actually think, okay, here's my list of people I need to forgive and I'm at the top of the list. So much easier. <laughs> yeah, they, they gave me drugs. I was fine, you know, but, but to do the harder work of contemplation and action is tough. Right. 
it, it did the trick for me. I didn't have to take anything. I didn't have to have a surgery. I didn't have to do any of that stuff. I mean, it, it was did. that powerful. It was that powerful. And I'm not saying right. the rewards that that are huge. will happen yeah. with every single person. That is not true. Everyone's a puzzle. You're all unique. But that happened to just glare at me from that ultrasound. You know, I knew, like it just spoke. So Dr. Keisha, this was an incredible amount to unpack today. So what I'm going to do is have a lot of information in today's show notes because people need to, need to know that there's a place that they can start. And um, it sounds like there, you know, again, there's a, there's a lot to look at here, but where would be the best place for people to start? I'll send over a PDF that I put together. And it's a really nice thing for people to, as you said, you have to digest this at your own pace. And it's a lot of information and, and, you know, have a lot of patience and grace and compassion for your process because no, no one ever gets cancer overnight and, and it doesn't reverse itself overnight either. There's a whole process that needs to happen and that digestion and that's the thing, right? And I love that term from Ayurvedic medicine. That's the the voice from 10,000 years ago. I think it's so wise. We don't think about having to digest our memories and our emotions and our thoughts and our feelings, but we do. Yeah. Yeah. And when we're digesting an apple, we're taking the nutrients and we're letting go of the stuff that we don't need. And it's the same with all of these experiences we've had. It's not meant to lock you into a victim mode. It's meant to say, okay, how do I digest this? So I get the nourishment from it and let go of what I don't need anymore. Exactly. And then I can move forward in, I love this word you use, liberation. Move forward in liberation. And in my experience, I now walk in freedom. And it is a beautiful way to live your life. Sure is. Amen. Amen. Back at you. Well, Dr. Keisha, I've had my eyes open today and um, I've been moving through this process just kind of on my own, but I feel like I got some great confirmation from you today. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. It was just really honor. Oh, thank you so much. I love my cell phone. I love my AirPods, I admit it. But what I don't love is the radiation and electromagnetic frequencies that are coming out of both of those things. So all of a sudden I got this ad on Instagram about this product called WaveBlock. Honestly, it seemed too good to be true. So I called the owner, his name is Ben, and we had an amazing conversation about this product he created basically to protect his kids from EMFs that were coming out of cell phones and headphones and you name it. He explained the whole process to me, how he took it to Europe to get it tested and how it really can block the EMFs that are coming out of our devices. So I've got a great coupon code for all of our listeners today. Go to the WaveBlock website. It's in today's show notes. Use the code ENOS20 and you can get 20% off of his products. Two of the products that I'm currently using are his wraparound WaveBlock for my AirPods. And then I also just got a new cell phone and he has a sticker that can go on the back of the cell phone that is also going to help to knock down the EMFs. It just gives me a little bit more comfort, I think, with using these items. Go to today's show notes to get your 20% off coupon for WaveBlock.
Thank you for joining me today on the Why Did I Get Cancer podcast. I've got my shopping guide for all of my cancer self-care items in the show notes, along with information about today's guest and our show sponsors. And don't forget to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. Keep in mind, I'm not a doctor. I'm just a gal that got diagnosed with cancer and wanted answers. If you need medical advice, please be sure to consult with a medical professional. And thank you for listening. 